Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. Before we get going, the 3rd and 15 podcast is brought to you by Cali TV. Folks, if you've cut the cord, you know the aggravation of having your favorite team playing on one of those channels. You know the ones I'm talking about, the ones you used to get on your streaming service but you don't anymore. Maybe you thought, guess I'm going to have to get cable again. Wrong. With Cali TV, you can watch your team no matter what channel they're on. Cali TV is just $25 a month with no contract and no gimmick. It streams straight to your Fire Stick or other device, and you'll never miss a game again. To find out more, contact me, and uh, we'll get you set up with my guy right away. Now let's start the show. Folks, I'm Jeremy Timmerman. I'm your host at the 3rd and 15 Podcast, and we had a big week last week. There were some games that I pointed you to, and they turned out to be exactly what we thought they were going to be. Um... We're talking about Oregon, Ohio State. I'll be honest, I doubted Oregon. I really wanted to go out on a limb and tell you that Oregon was going to beat Ohio State, but I just didn't know. And the way they did it was really impressive, really impressive. Oregon, and and the thing that I, that I really honed in on was how Minnesota was able to do against Ohio State with really only one weapon, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, who's out for the year now. And then Oregon was so multiple. And they were even more multiple than I thought they were going to be. Uh, they got good rushing performances from three backs. C.J. Verdell, 20 carries, 161 yards, two touchdowns. Anthony Brown, the quarterback, 10 carries for 65 yards. Travis Dye, 8 carries for 43 yards and one touchdown. Now, Anthony Brown also completed 17 of 35 passes. 236 yards, two touchdowns. Just a clean, solid dual threat game from him. Had almost 300 total yards on the ground, a little over 300 yards on the ground. But listen to this. He completed 17 passes to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 different players. All right? For reference on that, he completed to 11 players. Clemson, in a, and Clemson is another team that's known for spreading the ball around. And in a game against South Carolina State that's essentially a – an exhibition game. They only threw to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 guys, if I'm counting correctly. And that's with three quarterbacks completing 23 passes. So, and a lot of that is, again, they're, they're, they're bringing in multiple waves of player. They're down to their third quarterback with the third receivers, and they only threw to 13. Oregon was in a dogfight against the number three team in the country but that they won 28 to 35 or 35 to 28, excuse me, and they threw to 11 guys. Just spread the ball over the field. Just a beautiful game from Oregon to knock off Ohio State and to put themselves in the uh, playoff hunt. I told you at the start of the season, USC was my team, my, my, my main dark horse to, to make some noise and get in the playoffs. Well, that didn't happen. They lost to Stanford 42-28, and now Clay Helton's without a job. So I was in the right conference because Oregon's already made some noise. UCLA has already made some noise knocking off LSU. Those are two teams that look like if they can make things happen down the stretch, those are two teams that can get perhaps towards the playoff picture. Oregon's right there in the hunt, though. I believe they're top five right now. I think they might even be up to like four. Yeah, they're number four in the country in both polls. So Oregon's right there in the hunt. Now all they got to do is, is do some winning, do some more winning. 
Um, the, the schedule is probably favorable. Although, I'm telling you, the Pac-12 is tightening up. The Pac-12 is looking like a conference that could have several teams that could be tough to beat. Uh, they're playing Stony Brook this Saturday, so that's that's no tough no tough game. Then Arizona, then Stanford. They're at Stanford. Stanford just knocked off Southern Cal and got Clay Helton fired. Then they got Cal. Then the big game against UCLA on the 23rd of October. Colorado, Washington, Washington State, Utah, and Oregon State. And then probably another matchup with UCLA or maybe Southern Cal if Southern Cal can right the ship. So we're looking at Oregon is in prime position because now they have the second best win on the schedule. Um, beating Ohio State, the second best win in the country. You know, Georgia beating Clemson the way they did is probably still the number one win, but Oregon's right there. So, huge win for the Ducks. Another couple of games I told you about was Arkansas beating Texas, and they did. Um, KJ Jefferson looked really good in that game at quarterback, uh, mainly just managing the game, 14 and 19 for 138 yards through the air. One interception, no touchdowns. He did rush 10 times for 73 yards. The Arkansas running game is going to be tough to contend with this year. They ran they ran the ball 47 times for 333 yards. Uh, Trelon Smith, 12 carries for 75 yards and a score. A.J. Green, 7 carries for 67 yards and a score. Raheem Sanders, 8 carries for 50 yards and a score. Dominique Johnson, 6 carries, 44 yards and a score. They had 5 players with at least 44 yards and at least 6 carries. 4 of them had a touchdown. Just spreading the ball around in the running game. In a way we haven't seen from a team that wasn't running the triple option in a long time. So that was a really impressive win. And then the third win that we talked about was uh, Iowa beating Iowa State. A really good game, 27-17. to um, And Iowa did it without really anything super impressive on offense. Spencer Petras had a clean game, 11-21, to 106 yards and a score. Tyler Goodson, 21 carries for 55 yards and a score. Just a really solid, solid defensive performance. Um, they got three interceptions out of Brock Purdy. I'm trying to find where those interceptions are. Who had them? There we go. Matt Hankins had two interceptions for 41 yards. I think he's got a few on this year already. If I'm not just the two, so big two big games in against Iowa, two big interceptions against Iowa State to lead the Hawkeyes there. All right. So now that we've kind of wrapped up the week that was, not a whole lot of uh, other uh, noteworthy results. Notre Dame escaped Toledo 32-29. to Most everything else was pretty straightforward. Not Nothing too wild, nothing too unexpected. A lot of teams taking care of business. Um, but um, I think that the big thing for me is the USC, at least from last week's results. USC firing Clay Helton after what, two weeks of the season. And it's risky, but I, I think it was the right move. Because here's the thing. If little old me, clean across the country with no vested interest in Southern Cal, looked at this team and said, this is the time for them to contend for the playoffs. This is the time for them to step up and take the reins in um, this, the Pac-12. This is the time. If they're going to do it, this is the time to do it. Clay Helton had been coaching at 
Southern Cal for six. This this was his seventh year, um, and they had the team. They had the quarterback. And if that's your expectations, if that's where you are, then you can't lose the second game of the year to an understaffed, undermanned uh, Stanford. I don't mean understaffed in terms of the – I used the wrong word there. What I meant was undermanned. They're not as talented as Southern Cal. And if you're going to lose that game, you can't be expected to beat UCLA. You can't be expected to beat Oregon down the road. Um, let's look at Southern Cal's schedule. If you can't beat Stanford, uh, Washington State at Washington State is in question this week. Um, Colorado's look good this year. They got them on October 2nd. Utah was just ranked. They got them on October 9th. Then Notre Dame on October 23rd at Notre Dame. Then Arizona State on November 6th. Then UCLA and BYU to close out the year. All of the sudden, you're looking at if Hilton's having trouble against Stanford, I, can you expect that they're going to be anything more than 9-3? and three? And if 9-3 and three isn't good enough, go ahead and make the move now. Start looking elsewhere. And, and just go ahead and move on. Because what you don't want to have happen is you go 10-2, and two, things break USC's way, you go into the Pac-12 championship game, you win the Pac-12 championship to get to a New Year's Six Bowl, but you still come up short. But you can't fire him after that. If you know your expectations are a playoff team and you know a team that loses to Stanford is probably not going to make the playoffs, go ahead and make the move. I liked it. It's bold. It's a move that that's going to get questioned. But I think at that school, if if you're not moving towards the playoffs, what are you doing? And and that's that's kind of the decision they made. Now, speaking of decisions, huge week in the world of college football. Um, Big Twelve, as we know is losing two members. They're losing Texas and Oklahoma in a couple of years. You know, exactly when that's going to happen is up in the air. And they made a big move, a big move. They've gone out and they've gotten BYU, Cincinnati, um, Houston, and UCF added to their eight existing schools, which were West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU to bring the, t- the total back up to 12 teams. Now, I love, first of all, one thing that you should know about me is there are very few things that bother me in terms of like little OCD uh, things, if you will. I'm not somebody who needs things to be orderly. I'm not somebody who needs my pencils straightened. But I will tell you that it bothers me to no end that the Big 12 has 10 teams. And then the Big 10 has 14 teams. And the Pac-12 also has 14 teams. Nope, nope, nope. I'm wrong. The Pac-12 actually has 12 teams. That's my mistake. For some reason, I thought they had 14. But the Big Ten has 14 teams, and the Big 12 has 10 teams. And so the thought of the Big 12 having having eight teams was even more disturbing to me. So the fact that the Big 12 is going to have 12 teams again, first of all, that's great news for me. I don't know if you care about that, but I do. Um... The second part about this is that I think this is, I can't think of a more ideal way to position this team, this, this conference, excuse me, going forward. Short of pulling a coup and bringing in uh, maybe two of those 14 teams from the Big Ten, but even then, the kind of teams you're going to pull from the Big Ten are going to be like Nebraska, bringing Nebraska back home. I'll be honest with you. 
all four of these teams are better positioned right now than Nebraska. I'm just I'm just being real. Nebraska doesn't bring any recruiting areas that these four teams don't. BYU becomes your farthest west. It gets you into some areas out there out west that some of these more southwest even, if you can't even call Texas southwest, BYU maybe gets you closer to recruiting in California and up into Oregon and down in Arizona uh, and into Nevada. Um, so that's big. UCF gets you in Florida, right in the middle of Florida, in a huge population center in Florida, and it's close to Tampa. Um, Cincinnati gets you even more up in that Midwest area. Uh, and then adding a fourth Texas school is never bad, and Houston's been good. That's the other thing about this, is that you would have a hard time. Boise State is maybe the only team other than these four that from a competitive standpoint makes so much sense for this conference. You're talking about three of the teams that in recent memory have crashed the the New Year's Six party in UCF, Cincinnati just last year, and Houston. BYU was close last year. I mean, if BYU beats uh, Coastal, BYU's probably in the New Year's Six, or at least close. So these are four programs on the rise, four programs that recruit well without being in a major conference. This is a home run in terms of competition, in my opinion. And yeah, you lose Texas and Oklahoma, but this is a conference that if you win this conference at 12 and 0 or 11 and 1, or excuse me, 13 and 0 or 12 and 1, you are probably going to at least be in the conversation for the playoffs. Sure, maybe there's a year where Alabama's undefeated, Clemson's undefeated, Ohio State has one loss, and uh, Notre Dame has is a, has one loss, and you don't get in over any of them with your one loss. But you're probably fifth or sixth. So you're essentially where you are now with Oklahoma and Texas in the mix, but it's more balanced. And the system, because you're, you have 12 teams and you can split out into divisions and have a real championship game instead of what you've been having, the system is going to favor a team that has that one-year run because that's what it takes to start one of these. And it's so hard to have a one-year run the way the Big, Ten, Big 12 excuse me, is currently uh, made up. Because you'd have to beat Oklahoma twice, probably. You at least have to play them twice. So if you're, um, let's say, Kansas State, and you're having a great year, and you play Oklahoma in mid-October, and you sneak up and beat them, and now you're 12-0 and going into your conference championship game, well, now you might have to play, you probably have to play Oklahoma again, or you have to play another team that beat Oklahoma again. Have to. Every year. You don't get like Clemson got in some of those early years of, of, of the most recent run, you know, when they played a team that was a little bit lesser than in the, in the conference championship game. It's nice to be able to play, you know, when you've got those Alabama-Georgia, both teams are 12-0 uh, and 0 or 11-1, and 1, and the, win- the winner's definitely in the playoffs and the loser might be in the playoffs too. Those are great, but it's also nice if you're trying to build a program to have that year where you're playing a 9-3 and three team in the, in the championship game. You've done your... You've done your work, you've won your big games, and now you don't have as tough of an opponent. Sometimes that's what gets a program over the hump, is that chance to win a conference title without having to beat the best team in your conference twice. So I think this favors everybody else in the conference in in making the path a little bit more balanced, I think. Because still, so here's what I think. Um, to get to the next level of this discussion, I looked at the way the map breaks down for these divisions. There's obviously the two most common things would just be go east or west. 
Uh, that really, or east and west, that's one option. To, to go straight east and west, I don't really like it. One, because to really go east-west, you're taking three of the new teams in the east division. You would take Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati with West Virginia, the, one of the other new schools, Iowa State and Kansas. I don't like that. And then the West would be BYU, uh, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State. One, you break up Kansas and Kansas State. And two, you go 3-1 with the Texas schools. And then, again, three of the new schools plus West Virginia in one division. I don't I don't really like that. Uh, that feels very similar to the way the Big Ten divided things up. And I don't like the way the Big Ten divided things up when they um, redid their divisions a few years ago. So... I think the one that makes them, and, and there are some ways you could modify that. You could kind of lean the map a little bit and put Houston and the Texas schools with Oklahoma and BYU and then put the two Kansas schools with with the rest of those eastern schools. But I think the way to do it is north-south. Um, and here's how that breaks down. North would be BYU, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, Cincinnati, and West Virginia. South would be Oklahoma State, the four Texas schools, and UCF. One, you've got some natural rivalries. Uh, Kansas and Kansas State stay in the same division. Uh, you've got, I think, Cincinnati and West Virginia become really nice natural rivals in this new conference. And they're in the same division. And obviously they're going to be in the same division no matter really which way you go. Uh, but they keep that. Um, the only school that really is kind of stuck on an island without a natural rival is UCF. But they have Houston in their division who's somebody they've been competing with for a while now, and they're the only Florida school in the conference. They're going to be by themselves. So is BYU. Um, so I just think that's the best division. Plus you keep a lot of those, you, keeping the four Texas schools in Oklahoma State together, I like that. That's the way it kind of was in the old Big 12 when you had North and South, all those Texas schools plus the Oklahoma schools in the same division. I think there's, there's balance here. Uh, just in the last few years, BYU's been good, Cincinnati's been good, Iowa State's been good, Kansas State has been good off and on. West Virginia's been fringe good for my whole life, it feels like. Uh, sometimes venturing up towards really, really good or great, sometimes dipping a little bit. But West Virginia usually can be counted on to put a good college football program on the field. The only real dud you have in that division is Kansas. It, it is what it is. In the Big 12 South, really most of these programs have been at least decent. Texas Tech is the worst one probably, uh, at least in recent memory. And some of the, these new schools might struggle. All four, One of these four new schools, when they come in the Big 12, is going to see a dip. I'm guessing probably BYU, um, just because of where they are. But I think the other schools will benefit more at first from having BYU in the conference than BYU will benefit from being in the conference. But I think they'll still be fine. In the South, there's really not a weak link. Texas Tech is, you know, they're a, a borderline bowl team every year. Uh, TCU and Baylor have been on the fringe of the playoffs. Oklahoma State's dipped a little bit in the last couple of years, but they've been a team that's been on top of the world a couple of times or close to it. And UCF, we all know, undefeated a couple of years ago, went almost two whole years without losing a football game. So I think that's the best way to balance it out. And if you do that, let's say you go to a, probably an – I would prefer a nine-game uh, conference, nine conference schedule. They'll probably do eight. But let's say you do eight, and, and you're UCF, and you play those four Texas schools, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, Houston, Oklahoma State. Uh, let's say you're, you're, all, you're permanent crossover. Let's say they do that like SEC and the, and the ACC do, and their permanent crossover is probably Cincinnati in that case, I would guess. Um, let's say it is. 
So now you've got Cincinnati and, and Iowa State, and even if you got Kansas that year, that's a really sturdy, tough conference schedule. And then you've got room to have maybe maybe Florida as a non-conference game. And if not, maybe UCF schedules USF, who, who didn't get to come along for this little ride, schedule them as a non-conference game. And that's a, that's that's ten really good or nine really good games. And you've still got room to schedule. You know, if UCF now that UCF's a Big Twelve team, maybe they get invited to some of these. Um, you know the the big the big kickoffs in Atlanta and Charlotte and Texas. Maybe you get a UCF Georgia in the dome one year, or UCF Georgia in Charlotte one year. Those games become more enticing when UCF is a Big Twelve team. So I think there's a lot to like about this new Big Twelve. I love the direction this is going. I was not thrilled with the SEC with the way the SEC expanded. I didn't think that was best for college football as a whole. But the Big 12 responding this way and the other three major conferences forming the alliance and kind of sending this message that you're not just going to get whatever you want just because you're the SEC and you're the most powerful conference. We're going to do what's best for us and we're going to work together to do it. This kind of is restoring some balance to things that I think was sorely needed. Before we get out of here, let's look ahead to week three, things are starting to shape up a little bit. Obviously, it's still very, very early, but we're starting to get some pictures. We've already started to have some conference games, not a lot, a lot more this Saturday. So let's talk about the three biggest games just right out of the gate. Alabama's going to Florida. I see very little chance that Florida wins this game. Uh, They had to throw, and I go, again, these are two different teams, but Alabama looks almost as good as they did last year. Right, they're very, very strong. Florida does not look as good as they did last year, and Florida threw everything they could at Alabama last year, and and still couldn't get it done. Um, I understand Florida is going to be without Anthony Richardson, and that just does not bode well for the Gators. Um, Emory Jones has not. I mean, he's thirty-one of forty-nine for two hundred sixty-four yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions. He has obviously a threat with his legs. Twenty-three attempts, one hundred fifty-five yards, and another touchdown. Anthony Richardson seemed like the better option, and uh, I'm understanding that he is hurt this week. Let's double check that. Um, so I just don't think the, the Gators. This is not as close as the rankings would suggest. Florida is almost a number eleven by default because of some of the other results that have happened, and they haven't lost. Um, maybe he's not hurt. I thought he was. That would be good if they could play. If if uh, Florida could play, well, he's apparently been practicing, so we'll see. Um, if if he can play, he looks like the kind of he. Maybe Florida can keep it close. Yeah, it's a hamstring injury. They're being quiet about it. I'm gonna doubt that he plays. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say hamstring injuries make me nervous right now. That's just, it feels like that's something that it's in vogue in sports that like hamstring injuries, we treat them like they're not that bad. And then, oh yeah, he's out six weeks. Um, so I just don't think Florida has what it takes to beat Alabama. Could be wrong. Love to be wrong. I love to see Alabama lose this. I don't think they're gonna. Auburn is at Penn State. Auburn has looked pretty good this year. Bo Nix, who has been at Auburn for approximately 700 years, Bo Nix has been at Auburn longer than Nick Saban has been at Alabama. 
I'm just teasing, obviously. Um, but Auburn's looked pretty good. They beat Akron 60 to 10. They beat uh, Alabama State 62 to nothing. They have played no one, but they did what you have to do when you play no one. We've seen other teams like Florida State, who almost beat Notre Dame and then proceeded to lose to Jacksonville State the very next week. Um, not do what you're supposed to do when you get those teams. So, Auburn has done what you have to do. Bo Nix against inferior competition, 29 of 39, 383 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. He has also run for 30 yards. Um, Tank Bigsby is the Auburn big name at running back, 24 carries for 241 yards, uh, two touchdowns. Jarquez Hunter actually leads them with 257 yards and two scores. Uh, yeah, Auburn spreads the ball around a good bit, but that's to be expected when you play nobody. I don't think they can beat Penn State. I think Penn State probably beats them. Penn State has looked really tough. They don't seem like a team that you're just going to be able to run on the way Auburn likes to run. I think Penn State, I don't, if you're looking for my big upset picks this week, my big bold moves, I don't see a ton of them. There's one down here that you're going to like, but uh, I don't see a ton of them. Then the other one's Arizona State and BYU. That's a good late, late game there. Probably kicking off about 10. I should really start writing down when these games kick off when I'm making my list. I'm very unorganized, and you'll just have to apologize with – you'll just have to deal with that. Yeah, it's 10-15 kick. I'm very unorganized with my writings and with my preparation, but by God, please make your conference numbers line up with the name of your conference. Thank you kindly. Arizona BYU, Arizona State BYU, I don't have a good feel on that one. Two undefeated teams, two teams that the winner of this one's probably a top 15 next week, probably a top 15 team next week, um, especially in Arizona State's case. Uh, kind of staking the claim to to the big the Pac-12 South. Even though this isn't a Pac-12 game, this is the kind of win that lets everybody know, hey, we're here. Arizona State has wins over Southern Utah and UNLV, so nothing to write home to mom about. And BYU probably not either. Arizona and Utah. So BYU's already won two Pac-12 games this year. Can they make it a third? Can they be 3-0 and in the Pac-12? I think if you win three games in the same conference and you're not in that conference, you should be in consideration for that conference's championship game. I'm not saying you should make it, but, you know, because Notre Dame plays five ACC schools every year, so we don't want them just sneaking in on that. But um, BYU with a chance for a big win, too. So winner of this game is firmly in the mix for big things down the road. And then we'll get to some more non-traditional games. UNC is playing Virginia at 7.30. Virginia's 2-0. They've beaten West William & Mary in Illinois. Um, so nobody too impressive. But North Carolina lost. North Carolina is looking. Yeah, Brennan Armstrong is one of the top quarterbacks in the country right now in terms of stats. 48-67 uh, for the Cavaliers. 744 yards. Seven touchdowns. One interception. And he is also, they throw the ball. They do not run very much. They Well, they run a good bit, but they spread the ball around in the running game. Um, North Carolina is 2-1, and one, but of course they opened the season with that deflating loss uh, to Virginia Tech, 17-10. to 10. Excuse me, they're 1-1. One one. Something said 2-1, and one, and that is not correct. They beat Georgia State last week, 59-17. to 17, But North Carolina is going to be looking to bounce back and they're already, because they started out with such a conference-heavy schedule, and not just conference, division games, two out of the first three games, they almost have to win this one. Because starting out with two SEC losses and starting out with two losses in the division makes it really, really, really hard to come back 
and win the division and have a shot at something bigger than just the Belk Bowl or the Duke's Mayo Bowl or whatever other bowl the ACC is connected to this year. If you want something bigger than that, you cannot lose this game. Because if you lose this game, now Virginia Tech has to lose three times in conference for you to have a chance at, at, at winning that division. And the same with Virginia if you lose this game. Virginia now has to lose three times in conference. And one of the losses that you would want to count on Virginia Tech's schedule, if you're looking to count them, would be to North Carolina, and that's not there anymore. They won that game. So North Carolina in a must-win already against Virginia. And Virginia's looked really good in the passing game. I, I think North Carolina wins this one. Go. I've, I've got a gut feeling that North Carolina wins this one. Here's the one that I'm looking at. Purdue and Notre Dame. Notre Dame has been ever so close to losing to a Florida State team that lost to Jacksonville State. Last week, they came ever so close to losing to Toledo, and now they've got Purdue coming into town. Purdue's 2-0. They're not ranked, but they got a 30-21 win over Oregon State and a 49-0 win over over UConn. I think Purdue goes into South Bend and beats Notre Dame this weekend. Now, I have had some incredibly lucky picks in games like this over these first couple of weeks of the season. I need you to know that this is not going to continue. I'm saying that now so that if you're listening to this and then you see Notre Dame beat Purdue by 30 points on Saturday, you won't be like, ha, that Jeremy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm hedging my bets. But if, if, I'm, if I'm pointing to a game, this is one. Another one that I like is Michigan State against Miami. Miami is still ranked somehow, even after getting their utter teeth kicked in by Alabama in week one. I guess the voters were impressed with their win, their 25-23 to 23 home win over App State enough to keep them in the rankings. But Michigan State's coming to town. You know, Michigan State's been down a little bit. But they're 2-0 this year with a win over Northwestern, a win over Youngtown State. They got a running back that has been really impressive this year. Kenneth Williams III. Uh, 30 attempts, 31 or 30 attempts, 321 yards, five touchdowns, including a 75-yarder. He is averaging 10.7 yards per carry. Also, Jordan Simmons, 21 carries for 131 yards. Um, pretty efficient quarterback play from Peyton Thorne, 30 for 46, 465 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. Uh, if Miami wants to be taken seriously at all, first of all, what should be taken seriously is they have. Miami has four uh, non-conference games, and they've already played Alabama and Michigan State. And when they scheduled those games, Michigan State is down now, but they scheduled this game probably back not long after Michigan State was a playoff team. So kudos to the Hurricanes for not backing down in the scheduling department, but they might pay for it on Saturday at noon on ABC. Because I really feel like Michigan State is not going to beat them as bad as Alabama did, but I think Michigan State probably comes out with a win in this game. I'm not sure what the line is, um, but I I would not. Um, and even App State, that's not a bad. They their three of the, their first three non-conference games are Alabama, App State, and Michigan State. You would be a hard pressed to find. You know. If you go back to when those games were probably scheduled again, you would be hard-pressed to find a team that went tougher on their non-conference scheduling than Miami did. So kudos to those guys. Uh, the current line on this game is Miami by six. They are at home. I like that action. I would bet Michigan State. I'm not telling you how to bet. I don't bet on college sports because uh, I've seen too many ridiculous things. I always point to a game. It was just several years ago. 
Uh, Ohio State was playing, I believe it was Indiana. It was either Indiana or Northwestern. I think it was Northwestern, the more I think about it. But anyway, one of those types of teams. Ohio State was like a seven-point favorite, eight-point favorite. The other team had been within seven or eight the entire game. It was, you know, uh, trading scores. And uh, that other team was down three or four, had the ball with a chance to score late. And they're trying to press because they're down three or four. They're trying to get downfield to win this game. And there was a fumble. Ohio State picks it up, wins by 11, covers the spread. Those are the kinds of plays that tell me, Jeremy, you should not bet on college football. But if you're betting on one, I love this Michigan State-Miami game. I think Michigan State wins this game. At the very least, I like to think they're going to cover that six-point line. But, again, that's less than a touchdown. I, I really wouldn't play with that fire. If you're betting Michigan State, bet that they're going to win. That's my little advice from someone who knows nothing about gambling. Um, some more games. Virginia Tech-West Virginia. Virginia Tech is at West Virginia. That's a fun little rivalry game. I don't think it happens every year, but it's a fun little rivalry game. Cincinnati at Indiana. This isn't as tasty as it looked when we first talked about Cincinnati's schedule because Indiana um, did not do did not favor well uh, in that game against Iowa to start the season. They bounced back with a win over Idaho. The Vandals, I believe, is their mascot. But this is tricky because nobody is looking for Indiana to beat Cincinnati. This was the kind of game um, at the start of the season that you might have looked at and said, okay, Cincinnati's got to go undefeated to get in the playoffs. But, like, they could lose to Indiana, beat Notre Dame, and, and they, they could, they're, they're probably good enough. They could still get in the New Year's Six Bowl. This is not that game anymore. You have to beat Indiana at Indiana. This will be a test for Cincinnati. I like them. I think Cincinnati wins. They are favored by three and a half on the road, so that's that's a big deal. But watch out for this game because Michael Penix Jr. is still there. As far as I know, he's not hurt, right? Well, I don't think he is. We'll see. We'll find out. But Indiana's still got talent. They're still a talented team. And I, Cincinnati better watch out, but I think Cincinnati wins. Then you got a Friday game between UCF and Louisville. Just a couple of teams. Again, these games here, UCF at Louisville on Friday, Maryland at Illinois, Stanford at Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State at Memphis. At least one, if not both, of the teams in all of those games are looking to establish themselves. They're looking to gain a little momentum. They're looking to be teams that are taken seriously down the road. Mississippi State is a perfect example. That's They played in a similar game last week when they played NC State, and I pointed to that game as like the winner of this game. Uh, maybe they're not ever going to be – maybe they're, they have no shot at the playoffs this year. Maybe they're going to lose four games this year. But this is the difference between an eight, between being an 8-4 and four team that's ranked and an 8-4 and four team that's not ranked. Well, Mississippi State has another one. Memphis is undefeated. Memphis has looked pretty good. And Mississippi State is looking to prove that that 24-10 win over NC State, that grueling, gutsy win over NC State last week, wasn't a fluke. They can do it against Memphis at 4 o'clock on ESPN2. Um, Maryland and Illinois. I believe Illinois is 2-0. and I know Maryland's undefeated. Let's check on that. Nope. Illinois is 1-2. I could not have been more wrong. Um, Brett Bielema had that win over Nebraska, and then they've lost to UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio, and Virginia. Got throttled by Virginia. So this is one that is the reverse. Maryland has to win this one. Maryland's on the road against Illinois. They're seven-point favorites. Maryland badly needs this win. They've already got the win over West Virginia and a win over Howard. Um, you lose all your good mojo if you lose to Illinois. 
and uh, they've got baby brother Tagovailoa. Don't make me say that again. 48 to 63, 606 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. He has run for 11 yards, uh, so don't count on him being mobile. They throw the ball a lot. I count on Maryland to win that, and they need to win that one. So that's your rundown of the week coming up. Again, I do not see a lot of the upsets that I felt like I saw in the last couple weeks. I do see a lot of games that are going to be really good, I think. That Arizona State-BYU game, if you're a staying-up-late kind of person on a Saturday night, that's one to get get settled in for. Um, I think what Virginia Tech-West Virginia has a potential to be a lot of fun. Bama-Florida will probably not be very fun if you're a Gator fan. Auburn-Penn State, that game feels like one that could go down to the wire, maybe like a 24-17 game. I think Penn State wins that, but Auburn could surprise me. So that's our rundown of the week. Big week in college football. Uh, and we'll get back to it next week. Enjoy your weekend. Mm-hmm.